Welcome to the Community Revival Podcast, brought to you by 13 Ways. We help communities thrive. If you're here, then you care as much about communities as we do, and you're looking for ways to make your neighborhood better, stronger, and more prepared for the future. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Community Revival Podcast, where we focus on things that communities can do and the people can do in those communities to help them find success. Because you know, we've said it many times before, community building is the single most important job on earth. I am, uh, as usual, pretty excited about the uh, the guest we have today and the subject matter we're going to discuss, but but for a different reason than usual. I hear so many people who listen to this podcast or check out our website or who listen to our webinars say to us, Doug, you're always talking about slightly bigger communities than ours. We don't, we don't have enough population. We don't have any downtown. We don't, we don't have anything to work with. And so our community of 700 people or 1,000 people or 1,500 people just isn't big enough to, to have success and find results. Well, this guest, I'm so excited, is here to prove you all wrong. Because I've said all the time, it's, it's more about your attitudes and more about your approach. And it doesn't matter the size you are. You can do things to make your community better. And so my guest today, we're going to discuss what he and a bunch of other people in the community did to help grow his community of Erickson, Manitoba. My guest today is Steve Langston. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Doug. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I remember picking up your book for the first time and I kind of looked at it, read the title and I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be an American book. No way. This is Western Canada. <laughs> Opened it up and the guy's from Alberta and uh, has a very good understanding of Western Canada. And yeah, I read your book and it made a huge impact on me. So pleased to be here. My name's Steve Langston. Um, my day job, I run a company called Dirty T-Shirt Productions where we use video production and the internet to help tell stories online. And four years ago, uh, my family and I started investing in rural real estate. So uh, we made the decision as a family, we've got two young kids, we made the decision to move from Winnipeg, Manitoba to uh, the Erickson Onanol Riding Mountain National Park region of Manitoba. It's a big tourism area. It's a place that my family's always had a cabin during the summers. We'd always come up during the summer um, and obviously fell in love with the place, loved it, thought to ourselves, well, we can live in Winnipeg and always be working to get here, or we can just move rurally. And, you know, we're in the middle of a maternity leave with my wife and we made the plunge, uh, bought our first house, knew absolutely nothing about construction. It was uh, what a lot of people would have called a teardown. We gutted it, fixed it kind of got the real estate bug. And from there, we've been going pretty hard, buying, you know, three or four houses a year, uh, renovating them, and going down the path of real estate investing. But that's a, sorry, I, I need to go back to the fact that you said you you recognized that, you know, you could live in Winnipeg, not that Winnipeg's not a great place, but live in Winnipeg and work all the time to get out there, or you could live there and be there all the time. I, it's funny because I I don't know how many times I've, I've said it to people that, um, you know, people are starting to move to where they want to live and, and and making that conscious choice. And the pandemic has reminded us that we can work from anywhere. So why not 
why not live where you want to and work remotely instead of, you know, working, living close to where you work and then, you know, remotely going to someplace you want to live. Let's, let's, we got that backwards for a long time. For sure. And, and there's a bit of a fallacy that there is no opportunity in rural communities. The way I look at it is there is an abundance of opportunity in rural communities. You just got to have the initiative and uh, be able to identify the opportunities and, and go for it. So what, what made you pick Ericsson, Manitoba, as a place to, you know, set up shop, invest in, you know, build houses, do, or sorry, gut houses, clean things up. What, what made you pick Ericsson? So we started in Onanol, which is about, you know, right on the southern edge of Riding Mountain National Park. It's a, a bedroom community. It's kind of like the Canmore of the area. And it's really expensive here. You know, basically the cabin community kind of swallows up anything. So for a family to move here, prices are the same that you would kind of find in Winnipeg or other jurisdictions, but the employment opportunities aren't great. So, you know, we bought a couple in the area and the numbers just weren't really making that much sense. We were having fun, but it wasn't something that was like scalable and repeatable. Um, So, uh, you know, a good friend of mine was saying, you know, we should go look at Ericsson, right? It's just seven, eight, nine minutes down the road. And, you know, Just describe it, describe Erickson, would you? Erickson, like when you pull yeah. in, tell me what you, you see. You pull in, you drive, you pull in off Highway 10, the provincial highway. Um, you're driving down the main street. It's been there for a hundred years. Um, as you're driving down main street, there's a beautiful little lake at the end called Lita Lake. Um, and it's basically uh, four blocks on one side, four blocks on the other. Um, there's probably about 600 houses. Uh, co-op has always been king as long as I've been there. They got the lumber yard, they've got the grocery store, they've got the gas station. Um, and they were always really busy and the traffic count was really good, but there hadn't been a lot of entrepreneurship or risk taking. And there was some empty buildings in town on main street. Um, you know, and, but there was, you know, there was mixed people were, People would always say, ah, oh, it's just so sad. You know, there's all these empty buildings on Main Street. It's, it's just sad, right? And and that was kind of the general sentiment. Rather it, than it's, seeing that there's an opportunity that's like, oh, it's too late. It's over. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, there, yeah. I mean there, there's been some challenges for that community, right? The, the GM dealership left. Um, the Royal Bank left. You know, Manitoba Hydro left. So a lot of these like key players had kind of left, but then they started to kind of get filled up by entrepreneurs. So the RBC was filled up by a nonprofit daycare that now hosts, you know, 20 to 30 kids. The GM dealership left and now there's a mechanic there that's, you know, doing work. And so, you know, it was sad that they left, but it also created another opportunity to allow an entrepreneur to move into one of these buildings and actually start to grow the business. And I I don't mean to be critical about the bank or about a car dealership, but their profits tend to leave town while the daycare and the mechanic shop, their profits are all going to stay there, right? They're, they're... totally. And they're bringing more people in and yeah, like the RBC would, would have been one person with a teller yeah. and you know, yeah, it was super sad and it was a morale hit when everyone left, but you know, now it's the daycare has got probably employs 10 people. It's got, you know, provincial funding coming into the community. It's enabling a workforce, so, you know, a lot of huge benefits. And the reality is the GM dealership was never going to be there. Like, you know, the writing was on the wall. Yeah. The RBC yeah. wasn't sticking around in communities like this. So, yeah, it's sad, but, you know, onward and upward. So Okay, so you pull into Ericsson. Yeah. And, and I mean, you decided to buy a house and to gut it and to... So the first house that we bought, um, you know, I thought, 
we're looking and there, and there was enough houses on the market. There's probably about, you know, 10 houses on the market and we walk through this house and it's nice. It's got an attached garage. It's got 1.5 bathrooms. Um, it needed shingles. Shingles were a little bit curly, but that was basically it. And it was listed at $80,000. We paid 76 for it, put a $5,000 shingle job onto it and had a really nice house that someone could have been proud to live in. Put our sign up. Uh, on the garage for rent. I don't even think it got to Facebook. And within, you know, a few days, we had a great lady move in who was really in need of housing. Um, you know, the returns on the investment were really good. And I was like, okay, this works, you know, did the math, getting a better return on capital than you can get in any market. And I thought, okay, let's go. I'm really curious about the mindset that that makes you different or, or because I mean, a hundred people could have driven in there and seen the same house and said, I wouldn't invest in this place. It's dying. What, what inspired you to think that there had some potential uh, in that community or in that house? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple things. The number one thing that really uh, got me going is traffic count, right? That's something that, you know, commercial real estate developers, um, that's kind of one of the tools of their trade. But, you know, for us, we could just stand there on Main Street and there were cars coming in and out constantly and they were doing business. And, you know, we were going in there. That's where my kids are going to go to high school. So, you know, traffic count was great. And, and then obviously knowing this region that I live, tourism's growing. Um, you know, we, there's a lot of great things going on in the national park. You know, I love the trend of affordable housing. I believe that that's, you know, a trend that's not going away. And, and, and then it was just my ability to kind of silence the naysayers, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I have these distinct memories of chatting with people that, you know, you would, you know, quasi community leaders or people that had been there for a long time. And, and I'm really big on asking for feedback. I'll ask anyone what they think about one of my ideas. I don't always take the advice, but I, I'm really big on airing ideas in public. So I'd say, what do you think? Like, can, can we revitalize this town? You know, is this worth investing? And people are saying, nope, no, don't do it, man. It's, this is, it's not going to happen. And this is what it's going to be. It's on a downward spiral. And, and I had three or four people like explicitly tell me that they're telling me that the co-op's going to go under. Meanwhile, they'd just done a quarter million dollar, you know, uh, rehab to their facade on main street. And right. so, you know, there, and, and I got this term from you. It's like, you describe that sometimes there can be depression within a community, right? It's just, you get kind of in a funk and you get down on yourself. And so I, I just, yeah, I it's, it. it's the neuroses of communities. People get depressed. People have addictions. People have anxiety. Communities can have that, those sort of feelings and, you know, we're, we're, you know, anxiety can paralyze them so that they just keep making plans, but don't take action. They can be addicted to, you know, one resource or one industry. And when they lose it, they go into to lockdown because yeah. they don't know what to do without it. They just, and they keep saying, oh, it'll come back because like they just need a hit again or they're, they're, they're depressed and they believe there's no hope or future for them. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's very powerful and it's debilitating for communities. For sure. And, and yeah, so, you know, we started going and, you know, started basically bought our first house, um, you know, got it finished a couple months later, bought another house, you know, a couple months later, bought a house, bought a commercial property on main street. Now that's, that's the one that's interesting. Cause the first time I saw you, you had posted on Instagram, a picture of that building. And you can tell me about it with a picture of, of the book that I wrote, the 13 ways to kill your community in front just said, yep, yeah, we can do it. 
And I, that to me, the story that went along with that was so inspiring. That's what made me call you to see more of what you did. So you, you bought a commercial building. Yeah. So we bought a place that, uh, you know, it's on the corner of Main and Center. It's right in the heart of uh, Main Street. And so it's, it's like between the lumber yard and the pharmacy across from the gas station. So it's right in the heart of it. Um, but it's actually a residential house. And, you know, mm. I called it the meth house. I'm sure you can uh, figure out why, because people kept coming up to me and being like, oh, my God, how what's going, how bad was that? And so it was a house that, you know, it, it was being rented. It wasn't uh, being, you know, the, the tenants weren't great. The police were there a lot. Apparently, they had daisy-chained uh, electrical cords down from the municipal office to keep the power fired up. But, um, oh, wow. you know, the, the landlord was tired of it. And I chatted with him and, and we actually looked at it as a residential building. And then my wife had the idea, she said, you know, and it didn't, sorry, it didn't really pencil out as a residential, um, just, and it also, the location didn't, wasn't conducive to residential. And then my wife had the idea, why don't we turn this into a commercial space and, you know, game on, that was, uh, that was the impetus, you know, made an offer. It was in the, uh, you know, mediocre new car price range um and then basically uh immediately started doing our thing doing the renovation to it and did you know what you were going to do with it when you bought it well i call i i I use the term food desert because i was really i was always found myself really hungry so you know we were leaning towards food and beverage and uh and so that's kind of the the path that we took we started you know the renovations were created for a coffee shop essentially okay yeah and but you then, didn't do a coffee shop. Well, we did. So we ended up leasing it to a young lady in August. And uh, she is currently oh. running uh, a cafe out of there. And she's been in business for six months. Oh, but it's not just, is it just a coffee shop then? It's just a coffee shop, yeah. Okay. Well, then the building I was thinking of was, was a different was library. That, that's a different story. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. It's thick. We got lots of stories. Yeah, but that's 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 what I find so interesting. You just went from one... Um, I wouldn't say guaranteed success because you, you know, there was never any guarantee of success, but you went from something, worked hard, turned it into a success, leveraged it to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, from there, you know, we got to purchase a self-storage building in the town, um, you know, a bunch of commercial properties and, uh, just kind of last week purchased an old church that we're uh, really excited to turn into a, um, you know, an event center and an office and, uh, a lot, a lot of things. So, yeah, so there was a, there was a lot of, uh, there was just properties available, you know, the, the morale was low, so it kind of allowed you to purchase them at reasonable rates. And, and then once you start going and people start seeing you do it and they start seeing, you know, people moving into town and, and, and the, the energy's kind of infectious, right. And, and people are, everyone now people are on board and there's other people showing up want to do the same thing and and there's a real renewed energy in the community that's amazing tell me about the score store sure yeah lovely story so um it was last it was uh two thanksgivings ago so uh kind of like october of uh 2019 who calendar's odd in the pandemic can't figure it out but uh So my wife and I and the family, my two young kids, were driving to Brandon for Thanksgiving. We're talking about, you know, she's on the daycare board. Our kids are attending the daycare. And at that point, we were pre-provincial funding. So there were some real kind of like uh, challenges financially for the organization. 
And, you know, we're talking about the various fundraisers that you could do. And, you know, I'm, I'm a love entrepreneurship, as I mentioned, you know, I, I try to solve every problem with entrepreneurship. Right. And so instead of some of the typical fundraisers that you might go through, which, you know, chocolate bars, hot dogs, you know, I, I call it's like you're forced to buy something that you don't really need. You know, <laughs> the, the profits often go to the corporation, you know, a little bit goes to that person. There's a bunch of consumer waste involved and, you know, and it's fatiguing for volunteers. Right. And uh, we all know that there's that core group of people that's always doing it. So yeah. I thought, you know, we got to figure out a better solution because I really couldn't see myself selling, you know, chocolate bars and, and those sorts of things. I would probably just buy all the chocolate bars, eat them, cut the check and, you know, you know <laughs> how that not, would end. It's not good for anybody but the company, it's right? Not, it's not good for anyone. So, so someone had the brainwave that we would start a community-owned thrift shop and we called it the Score Store, which stands for Sandy Lake, Clear Lake, Onanole, Rolling River, and Erickson, which is loosely the kind of five small communities that make up our region spread over two municipalities. I have to confess that I thought the Score Store was because the, the, the store that you have, it's one of those places where you go in, you sort of sort through stuff, and then it's like, Score! I found this. It's a gem, right? Oh, I see. It represents the area. Ah, you, it can be used both ways. <laughs> it's used both ways. Yeah, we always say show your score as our hashtag on Instagram. Awesome. So uh, just around that time, uh, a good friend of mine had purchased the old pharmacy that had been sitting empty for five years. It's probably 2,000 square feet. Great looking building, you know, again, purchased for the kind of like used to new car price range. So super affordable. And we just kind of had the vision and, and went for it. So, you know, basically started painting the floor, started building shelving, started doing all these things, and then st really started to communicate with the community about what was going on. And I feel like that's a really critical component when you're trying to get people to buy in is just abundant, explicit communication, right? What's going on? And then people, they can talk about it. They can feel like they're a part of it and they can all get involved. So you actually create a bandwagon and the people can be part of instead of feeling like things are being done to them, right? Exactly. And then they yeah. can start bringing you their stuff. So, yeah. you yeah. know, probably in January, people started, you know, bringing us stuff and, and it's a bit of an unknown thing, right? You don't exactly know how it's going to play out, but people started bringing us stuff pandemic hit you know so we just kind of kept going right through it because we had nowhere to go nowhere to be um, a lot of great help from the community people showed up you know people are just showing up with hundred dollar bills handing them over to help with startup and you know friends and family played a, a a huge role and then kind of in april may of uh the last year so you know we're closing in on our one-year anniversary we opened the doors uh, right in the middle of the pandemic, and uh, you know it's been a it's been a great first twelve months. Uh, we paid back all of our initial investments, probably at about a ten thousand dollar debt that we needed to get rid of. Got that cleared up. Um, you know, started employing people, started utilizing volunteers. Um, you know, we're open Thursdays uh, noon to five, Saturdays ten to two. It's right on the, in the heart of Main Street. During those times, you can see that the community is like a lot busier. Right. And since then, we've probably donated about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to various community organizations. Now, your the impetus for this was to originally fund the daycare, which you know we have other podcasts now that that show how important daycare is to the economy and to the community. But that was your initial intent, right? That was the initial intent, and then kind of um, uh, by the time we kind of got up and running. 
the provincial funding had come through and they had less of a need. So it allowed us to basically spread the money out amongst our five communities. And basically what we like to do is 50% of the money goes to basically charitable, nonprofit, you know, cut the check. And then 50% goes to what I call economic development activities. Um, right, right. So support the community with half and grow the community with the other half. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, the, I mean, one of the coolest initiatives, it might not be the only one, but but I, I do know you guys started an incubator, a business incubator. Yeah. So so that uh, that that came, uh, that, that project was birthed through a, a great conversation with a talented friend of mine, a lady named Melissa Stefanu, who worked out at Dauphin, Manitoba for a long time. And she kind of introduced the term business incubator to me. And, you know, I've, I've been involved in, you know, uh, Innovation Alley in Winnipeg, which is a startup makerspace, but I never really was able to wrap my head around what that could mean in a rural community. So right. essentially what the business incubator model that we came up with was uh, we raised about $20,000. We The score store chipped in 5000 The municipality chipped in 5000 uh, Local insurance, credit union, community futures were all in as well. And basically what we did was we offered people 50% off of their lease if they were moving into an underused or underutilized building. And so basically at the time, kind of when we kicked it off, there was two problem buildings on Main Street. I owned one of them, the cafe, and uh, my friend Eric owned the other one, which was a 7,000 square foot grocery store, former grocery store. Um, And and basically what it did is it gave, you know, the real estate investors – the confidence to move forward and, you know, sink uh, probably upwards of a quarter million dollars into these buildings um, because they had that tool of being able to market it with half price rent and the rent's already low. Right. And then um, from a leasee's perspective, it allowed them to start their first year uh, with a lot less risk, you know, because they were 50% off uh, uh, their rent. And so, and in, and in a renovated building. So they're not stuck with the renos and, you know, exactly. It's high heating bills and stuff. Yeah. All the energy retrofits were done. And, and so, you know, people were starting businesses on main street with 250, $300 leases, right? So super affordable. And, you know, we believe that businesses could succeed again, based on the traffic counts. Right. Uh, so it kind of was putting your money where your mouth is as a community and saying like, if you, you guys, if we believe that this, can happen then you know it's it's a it is a big investment you know that fifteen twenty thousand dollars but if it can start a bunch of businesses then it's obviously a pretty good roi so uh, well and for most new businesses i mean it, it's the risk and cost associated with failure so the bigger the cost the less likely you are to undertake it and and with reduced rents and lower costs i mean a few hundred bucks a month that's 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 a lot less um risk of loss if you don't make it. And, you know, most entrepreneurs have to try two or three different things before it catches off, even multiple times more. So that's very innovative. Yeah, it was a real big risk reduction strategy. And, uh, and so the the business incubator was a a great success. We had two, there was two streams, one we called the retail launch, and then one we called the micro launch and the micro launch was for home based businesses, right, we give you 500 of your first $1,000 investment. Um, so we had two micro launches and we had six retail launches. So we had the cafe, 
we have a Swedish bakery that opened, oh, wow. uh, a First Nation regalia store. Uh, we've got a, a group uh, growing sprouts and microgreens. And we also have a mushroom facility that's just uh, an artisan mushroom facility that's all starting up. Uh, has all they basically all started up as of uh, today? So, wow. you know, drove probably that twenty five twenty thousand dollar incubator fund probably drove you know north of a quarter million dollars in investment, and it also launched these six businesses. So there's more people coming into the community. There's entrepreneurs there. They're looking at buying houses. Their families looking at investing. So, um, you know, it was uh, it was a smashing success. Well, and and yeah. just to emphasize, how long has the business incubator been running now and generated those six retail and two micro businesses? Six six months. In six months, so, so you haven't even you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the evolution of this and what's possible. I mean, oh, we're running out of retail space. That's the that's the problem. But uh, isn't it, isn't it a wonderful problem to have though? It's it's, awesome. a, good, it's a very good problem. That we're a full the town is the, all the commercial space in town is now leased and it's at full. The 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 grocery store that was seven thousand square feet. Now what happened with that? Because that is way too much real estate for like too much space for any most any small business, a micro business, how do you, how do you leverage uh, building that big? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my, my good friend, Eric is the person that purchased the building and and I'll never forget. And I mean, it's 7,000 square feet. It is massive. And I'll never forget walking in there January one of 2020 when he got the keys to it. And we're looking at it like this thing (laughs) is huge. Like it's humongous. And yeah, we yeah. stood around and kind of looked at it and it's a big, long, deep building. And I came up with the idea of let's just build the wall, right? So essentially you walk in the front doors and instead of being able to see all the way back, let's just put up some drywall and, you know, you've now you've got a thousand square feet and whatever the 6,000 square feet behind is no one's business. What's going on back there. It's like, now you've got the retail storefront. Right. And and that's kind of, that was, that was phase one. There was a dog groomer that showed up there and leased it. And that was kind of, that was pre-incubator. And then the incubator got fired up. And from there, it's just basically build the central hallway, start chopping it up and, and put it into these leasable units. And one thing we've really found in these rural communities is, you know, as a developer, your opportunity is to really renovate it right to the end. So a lot of people, a lot of developers will take it to like the vanilla box or the white box, right. which is essentially drywall and cement. But we find that you get a really good return if you kind of like upfit it almost for them because, you know, you're already doing construction in there. And, you know, a lot of times these entrepreneurs, that's too scary. So, you know, basically get the spaces like upfitted so someone can walk in, look at it, imagine themselves there and, you know, they're pretty motivated to sign that lease. He must be pretty happy because with multiple small businesses in there, I mean, if you lose one, if you, if, if you rent it all to one person, you're losing some pretty significant revenue every month. But if you, you've got multiple businesses, some grow, some new ones show up, some need more space, they move out, new ones move in. But if you lose one or two, it, it's not as devastating as, yeah. So, yeah. so then they had the design to, to suit sort of mentality. Like let's, let's, yeah. What do you want? How many square feet? Let's build the wall. Right. 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 So, uh, it, it, you know, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. Right. I was just going to ask, I mean, cause I think we forgot to mention it. How many people are in Ericsson? What's the population? Yeah. The population, 
you know, we're just filling out our censuses right now, but I suspect it's in the 750 range. And 750 uh, people. 750. And, you know, there is a lot of, uh, it, it is a big trading center. Uh, so people are kind of coming from, you know, they're coming from their cabins to go to the grocery store and do their business. So, so it is a good trading area, but uh, yeah, it's, it's tiny. Yeah. But I mean, it's good to have the trading area. If, what, 1500, maybe up to 3000 people in the summer months yeah. with the, the most small communities that are, you know, 750 or a thousand people still have a trading area of a couple thousand. So they, they, but they don't leverage it. And I, I, this story is so powerful and so fascinating for me because again, everyone keeps saying, Oh, Doug, that doesn't work for us. We're only 750 people or we're a thousand people that, uh, if you've convinced yourself that you can't do it, then you'll find a way not to. It's it's proven itself over and over again. And there's nothing more powerful than hearing the story of a community and somebody like you that did it, which like, I just, I think it's a fascinating story. Anything's possible. You just have to start small and continue to grow. And here you are now with, with Ericsson with barely any commercial space on all of Main Street. It's a huge success story. Thank you. Yeah. And for sure, it's been uh, it's been a community wide effort. Right. And, uh, you know, there there are other people that are investing and, you know, uh, the town council has been very supportive. And, and so there, there there's definitely been a, a team of of people that are getting involved and, um, and and people are fired up. You know, they'll we'll be walking in Main Street and they're just like they're high fiving you. They're just yeah. like, man, like we're so happy. Right? Well, because... probably as much as you've done uh, so much to help build the community and, and the commercial space, I would think that the most important and valuable contribution you've made is taking people's mindset from, no, no, don't invest here. There's nothing going to happen to the energy. And the like you said, the high-fiving and the fact that now people are looking around, wait, going, oh my God, there's only three more houses to buy. I better get in on this. I'm going to build a new one. I need to open a business here. There's there's massive new opportunities. And that change in mindset it, I mean, more than anything else is, is uh, you know, the, the factor that causes municipalities and communities to be successful or not, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's all, it's all the attitude, right? And, uh, and it's, it's just a powerful thing, but uh, you gotta, you gotta believe and you can't lie to yourself, right? You know, you gotta do the math and you gotta see like what, what the actual opportunity is, but but yeah, I've kind of come up with this idea over the last week or so that if you love your small community, you should build a rental property, right? right. Because that's like this one tangible thing that you can do, right? And, and we all know these communities where you can buy a you know a little house for forty, fifty thousand dollars, and you put that story in the Globe and Mail, and no one believes it, but like they're around, right? Yeah. yeah. And and ultimately, people there's a huge, massive need for affordable housing, and it the, it be continues to become more acute every single day. And so, you know, from an investor's perspective, you fix up that house in your neighborhood. Um, you know, you can rent it to someone that would really like to be there. It makes a big difference in your community, right? Having more people moving in. And then along the way, you know, the real estate investing is a very powerful tool that can create a lot of opportunities for you and your family. So, yeah. um, well, and I hear people all the time say, well, why would anybody want to live here? 
half the world now has recognized through this pandemic, you can work from anywhere. So why don't you pick where you want to live? And then they look at me and go, well, why would anyone want to live here, even if they could work remotely? Some of them want to know the name of the, the person they see in the grocery store. Some of them want to know the, the name of the person that's serving them their food. Some of them want to live in a place that they don't even have to drive to work, the commute. I mean, see the stats of how many people are spending two hours commuting on the road. They don't want to live in densely packed COVID-ridden, you know, urban centers where the it spreads rapidly. They've They've started to appreciate neighborhoods and communities. And some of them just want to be disconnected a little bit more from the hustle and bustle. I know I I interviewed when we were working in one community, uh, a couple, and they said, we moved out here because our kids have never seen the stars until we did. And now they, mm-hmm. they go, you know, five minutes out of town and look up and and their kids are in awe that you can see, you can actually see the Milky Way because you can. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't realize that anymore because there's so much light pollution. But there's a there's a hundred thousand reasons to want to live in a small community. And every community has something to, to sell. Yeah, it's incredible. The quality of life is great. You know, the employment opportunities are very good. The small business opportunities. I Incredible small business opportunities. Tell people all the time, why would you want to open a business in the city where you've got seven other competitors within three square blocks when you can go to just about any small town and actually have a viable business with no competition around? I mean, that. Right. Hopefully it grows so you have competition and then it continues to grow because you need competition. But yeah, looking at that cafe, it's like, you know, I mean, you, you can, we lease it very affordably and you can literally, there's no one competing, but if you go down, down the road to Brandon or Winnipeg, it's like, it's an absolute knife fight. (laughs) There's a knife fighting Starbucks in every third block. Yeah, And they're, they're publicly traded. They're sophisticated operators. You know, the leases are, there's no half off business incubator, right? It's like, bring your money and, you know, it's, it's scary, right? Whereas yeah. you can walk down Main Street now and just literally just ask someone and be like, hey, do you think a, you know, a coffee shop, sandwich shop would fly? And people are just like, yes. Yeah. Like they're, like, they're just everyone. It's just common knowledge. It's like, you can drive around and see there's nowhere to eat. So it's like, it's, it's a no brainer. So, so what's next for you? What's next for Arison? What, what's, what's the next step? Well, um, you know, we, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. Um, you know, we've, we've learned a few things um, about fundraising. So, you know, the score store is now making money and it's great to be able to give those checks out to community groups. It's a great morale booster. It helps our bottom line immediately but we really want to start to get a bit more strategic, right? right. And, and what, we're, what we're learning is to take some of those profits and use that for economic development. And a good example of that um, was we learned of a, a, a grant opportunity for a greenhouse and food bank. And, you know, there's an existing food bank in our community that does a lot of great work. And, you know, so the score store hired a grant writer to go in and, and write a grant for this project and, you know, successfully raised, you know, almost a quarter million dollars wow. from the federal government to build a greenhouse and food security hub, uh, which is going to be starting here in the next few weeks. And it's just that. So that's how you lever your investment, right? It's 
taking that thousand dollars and using it strategically. You know, we're working to create um, a boardwalk in the community, right? So, you know, we're writing grants for that. So instead of being, you know, thousand for thousand, it's like, let's get thousand for a hundred thousand yeah. or, and, and using some of those types of things. Um, so, so that's from a community perspective, uh, what's, what's happening there. Um, from my perspective, you know, I'm tossing around writing a book about the story um, because I believe that I believe that there is interest and I, I believe that it's a it's a story worth sharing. So, I, I you know, that's that's a road that I'm going to go down. And uh, and and we're also considering, you know, seeing if the, this can be repeated. You know, I, I don't want to say the opportunity's done, but, you know, the market's tightened up very considerably as of today. In the town of Erickson, there's only one lot, empty lot for sale. There's nothing else for sale. Right. So the market is very tight, um, which is drastically different than last year, two years ago. And, you know, now we're starting to think about drawing a circle around the province and basically doing an analysis on every community um, and, and doing that SWOT analysis, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and seeing if it makes sense to go do another one, right? And 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 I mean, it it's out there. It's a crazy idea, and it, most people tell me again, it's crazy. But that's what makes it so wonderful. It is crazy, um, and beautiful, brilliant at the same time. I'm uh, I'm really excited to hear you say that, because uh, I mean, that's what Thirteen Ways. That's what our our team does is that we go in and help communities do what you've you've uh, you've done in Ericsson, and it's 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 brilliant. So I'm excited to hear about how this continues to extend. I'm really interested in your book too. I mean, if you're looking for a publisher, 13 ways is always looking for some interesting stories. And I'm going to talk to you after too, because this story needs to be shared. And I, we do a lot of public speaking around North America to communities. I I've seen your TEDx video, which is, which is really good. And I, I think that more and more communities would be interested in hearing your story. Yeah, for sure. And I'd like to thank, uh, you know, the community of Erickson in general, they've been, uh, you know, super welcoming, um, very positive, um, and, and really willing to, to make it all happen, because this is not a thing that, you know, just one person does, right? This is this has to be everyone. Um, so that's been great. And then, you know, my advice to other communities is, you know, shake it off, right? Don't believe the naysayers, you know, you, you can get incrementally better every single day. I think that having an organization like the score store um, is really critical because that, you know, because eventually people get tired of cutting checks, yeah. right? You get yeah. tired of cutting checks out of your own pocket. And I, I learned that up in the community of Dauphin, Manitoba, where, you know, they've been running a nonprofit country music festival, Canada's longest running country music festival. And, you know, they, they were, they've been great for my career in video production. I've been working with them for a decade. And so having that organization that can just make a little bit of money, that you can then invest in your community um, and not have to ask for permission to do it is just uh, a really critical part. So yeah, to other communities, you can do it, you know, be positive, take the entrepreneurship uh, route and focus and, uh, and give it some serious consideration. Yeah. And if people want to follow along on uh, what we're doing, I got a pretty active on our Instagram account, Workinstock. It's like Birkenstock <laughs> with, work because we'd always be doing construction and sandals so w-o-r-k-e-n-s-t-o-c-k and uh yeah it's been a pleasure to be on the podcast doug sincerely appreciate it and uh, your book has been 
really critical in shaping our my minds. And uh, now that we got now that the score store bought four copies for the library, hopefully some other people's minds. Well, if you need any more, uh, I'm happy to send you a bunch of books at no cost just to continue to share the story. You know what? I appreciate you sharing that. You are an inspiration, not to just to me, but I know to a lot of listeners out there. And uh, we're going to talk later about sharing that story and make sure uh, a lot of other people can hear it too. Because, you know, um, as much as it's possible in any community to do things that, that you've done in Ericsson, I think the, the biggest impetus is that somebody needs to see what's possible. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad the community came along, but um, you needed to go in there and, and uh, kickstart it somehow and follow it through. And uh, I think uh, Ericsson is just as appreciative of you as you are of them. And, and I know uh, your stories inspired me. Awesome. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you, too. And for those of you out there, uh, remember that this podcast is about sharing those success stories and what's possible. If you ever have any questions, you can get a a hold of us in so many different ways. Just go to 13ways.ca. And uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you want to continue to listen to this. Um, And we're going to continue to share some amazing success stories from amazing people like Steve and communities around North America. So until then, stay safe. If you need to still wear a mask, go get your vaccine. But let's get this pandemic over with so we can get back to living in our communities. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Thanks for joining in on the Community Revival Podcast. To keep up to date on all our podcasts, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and follow us for more great content at 13 Ways. That's 13ways dot C-A. Remember, no matter what the challenge, what the issue, or where you are starting from, when it comes to making your community more successful, there's always a way. 